Hello, and welcome back to the Spin Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Kiara McKinney, and I'm here to bring you all the tea about pop culture headlines, PR moves, stunts, etc. Today is a very special episode because we just heard the verdict in the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp case was just handed down. And even though I said last week that I was going to do a sports episode this week, I lied because this is more important. So we'll do that eventually. Maybe next week. We'll see. So obviously in the Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp case, um, it's been beaten to death by every creator on the internet. What, which, Whichever side they're on, um, which everybody has, seems to have a very black and white stance on this entire thing. And it's very odd to me, but alas. Both Amber and Johnny released statements about the verdict, and I want to talk about those as opposed to the trial itself. So I saw Johnny Depp's first, so I'm going to read that one to you first. It says, six years ago, my life, the life of my children, the lives of those closest to me, and also the lives of the people who for many, many years have supported and believed in me were forever changed, all in the blink of an eye. False, very serious, and criminal allegations were levied at me via the media, which triggered an endless barrage of hateful content, although no charges were ever brought against me. It had already traveled around the world twice within a nanosecond, and it had a seismic impact on my life and my career. And six years later, the jury gave me my life back. I am truly humbled. My decision to pursue this case, knowing very well the height of the legal hurdles I would be facing and the inevitable worldwide spectacle into my life, was only made after considerable thought. From the very beginning, the goal of bringing this case was to reveal the truth regardless of the outcome. Speaking the truth was something that I owed to my children and to all of those who have remained steadfast in their support for me. I feel at peace knowing I have finally accomplished that. I am and have been overwhelmed by the outpouring of love and the colossal support and kindness from around the world. I hope that my quest to have the truth be told will have helped others, men or women, who have found themselves in my situation and that those supporting them never give up. I also hope that this position will now return to... that the position will now return to innocent until proven guilty, both within the courts and in the media. I wish to acknowledge the noble work of the judge, the jurors, the court staff, and the sheriffs who have sacrificed their own time to get to this point, and to my diligent and unwavering legal team who did an extraordinary job in helping me to share the truth. The best is yet to come, and a new chapter has finally begun. And then he ends it with a Latin proverb, veritas nuquam perit, which means truth never perishes. Now I'm going to read you Amber Heard's statement. The disappointment I feel today is beyond words. I'm heartbroken that the mountain of evidence still was not enough to stand up to the disproportionate power, influence, and sway of my ex-husband. I'm even more disappointed with what this verdict means for other women. It is a setback. It sets back the clock to a time when a woman who spoke up and spoke out could be publicly shamed and humiliated. It sets back the idea that violence against women is to be taken seriously. I believe Johnny's attorney succeeded in getting the jury to overlook the key issue of freedom of speech and ignore evidence that was so conclusive that we won in the UK. I'm sad I lost this case, but I'm sadder that I seem to have lost a right I thought I had as an American to speak freely and openly. So, lots to digest there. I see a stark contrast between these two statements um, more than just, of course, like the emotion 
Johnny's statement was clearly prepared. He clearly had that written and ready to go because he he posted it, I mean, moments after news circulated, after the verdict was handed down, which, by the way, I guess I need to tell you what the verdict was. Um, Johnny had sued Amber for $50 million for defamation and won $15 million of that money. Um, Amber countersued for $100 million and she won $2 million, essentially as damages for Johnny's lawyer referring to the entire thing as a hoax. The verdict was just handed down that um, came out, those both of those posts, and I definitely want to talk about what the rhetoric invokes here. Um, so regarding Johnny's, his is obviously very theatrical, which we would, you know, um, expect from him. He clearly had written it prior. It seems like he probably had a few statements prepared. His, I think, focuses really heavily on his family and the people around him. And it actually kind of made me sad for his children um, as he references them. You know, I think that that's something that's kind of getting lost here is that both of them are parents and have kids that are having to watch their parents' dirty laundry be aired out. Obviously, Amber Heard's daughter is like one, so I don't think she has any idea what's going on, but still. Um, it He was very focused on the truth. All of his statements um, are not about Amber. They're about his truth and about his reputation and about how um, he wants to help other people feel like they have the power to speak out. Now, we flip over to Amber's. And her statement is very centered on Johnny. And it's very clear um, that her statement comes from a place of anger. And if I had been her publicist, I would have advised her to not post anything for a little bit and to lie low and to digest and process. Um, I, I don't think that this was a good statement at all because it doesn't really address the claims that she has perpetuated any violence against Johnny, which I think we saw in this trial that she had, um, whether or not he inflicted any violence upon her, um, which I, it doesn't seem to me like that occurred, but I obviously was not in the room with them. So I don't know. Um, but her statement is not focused on truth. It's focused on um, Johnny and her disdain for him. And she talks about um, that her evidence wasn't enough to stand up to the power, influence, and sway of Johnny Depp. But the reality is that he had a mountain of evidence as well. And so it was really... She, she doesn't acknowledge all of the evidence against her, um, and it feels manipulative and almost like gaslighting to me. feels very narcissistic, um, the statement. And she says, it sets back the clock to a time when a woman who spoke up and spoke out could be publicly shamed and humiliated, which I do agree. She has been drugged through the mud over this, um, but if... 
Y'all remember, um, and I hope that you do, I hope that y'all were following this case back in 2016 when it first came out. People were very angry with Johnny Depp. People were on her side. Um, It wasn't until those recordings started coming out where you started hearing her saying like, yeah, I was hitting you, Johnny. You know, I wasn't punching you. I was hitting you. Those kinds of things where public opinion began to sway. She did have the public behind her in the beginning. And I feel like this kind of glosses over that. I think it glosses over um, a lot of things. And it's really interesting to me that Johnny did not name her, did not even mention her, just kind of said like six years ago, my life changed. And then hers, she mentions him and his attorneys and um, kind of verbally attacks them through her statement. I would have advised her to say something a little bit more vague and to not be, to not post something so combative um, toward these people because first of all, everybody's emotions are inflamed. Um, and I just think that this was not a good decision on her part. And then she mentions the UK case and kind of says like, oh, I guess, you know, as an American, I don't have this right to speak, whatever. Um, but the UK case was different because he sued um, the son, a publication for calling him a wife beater. He didn't sue Amber. So it's a totally different thing. And again, this is where it's, we're we're kind of veering into gaslighting where she's just misrepresenting the entire scenario to try and manipulate it to where she looks like the victim. Um, and when I say victim, I don't mean of violence, but I just mean of this public spectacle, um, which in the end, I mean, they're, I think they're both victims of it. It's really sad um, that their relationship was so tumultuous that it came down to this and that now the entire world and not just the country, but the world is involved. But at any rate, I am really glad that this is over. I'm so glad we don't have to hear about this trial anymore. And this will be the last comment I make about it unless something really fucking crazy happens. Now, in other divorce news, I want to talk about what's going on with all the Mormon TikTok mom blogger ladies. (laughs) Um, I talked about this a little bit on the Instagram story, but if you missed it or if you haven't seen it, buckle the fuck up because this is crazy. I don't have all of the details, but I will send you to some places that you can get more details from because there's other things I have to talk about. Otherwise, we'd be here all day. So this creator on TikTok named Taylor Paul um, has recently gone viral for this drama involving her and her circle of friends, all other TikTok creators, um, for essentially breaching their agreement within the friend group of soft swinging. Now, if you're like, Kiara, what the fuck is soft swinging? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's basically um, you can hook up with other members within the swinging circle, but there are rules set within that. One of those rules being that they cannot have intercourse. These couples identify as romantically monogamous, but sexually open. And Basically, they cannot do vaginal intercourse with each other 
but they can make out, do hand stuff, all that high school stuff. (laughs) So that was their situation, which recently got brought to light because Taylor, um, kind of the ringleader, started posting all of these videos about getting a divorce and moving out of her house and becoming a single mom and all of these things. And people were like, what the fuck happened? Well, she went on TikTok live and eventually spilled all the tea. She said that um, she and her husband were getting a divorce because she stepped outside of the agreement with one of the other husbands in the group. And essentially they had intercourse and they um, did so behind their partner's backs. So that constitutes as cheating in this soft swinging scenario. So Reddit is going nuts. I don't know how much y'all are into Reddit, but if you're into celebrity gossip or gossip in general, Reddit's the place to be. Um, People are like really obsessed with this story. I have um, found a page, a subreddit called Taylor Paul Drama. So if I don't give you enough to scratch your itch with this one, definitely go and check that subreddit out. Reddit is trying really hard to figure out who the other players in this are because there are a whole lot of women in this circle of friends that are married as well. And people are trying to figure out who's involved in the soft swinging and who aren't. Um, There's another girl named Miranda and she is married to some dude whose name is escaping me right now. (laughs) And they're alleging that they are not part of this swinging circle. Um, but Reddit really doesn't believe that for whatever reason. Um, people are thinking that people are thinking that the culprit is this dude named Brayden, um, who is married to one of the other women in the group. And honestly, I'm not even really sure why. <laughs> But um, it's a really interesting it's – it's all coming to a head because not only is that couple getting a divorce, but on, in her TikTok lives, Taylor Paul also said that there were two other couples getting a divorce, one of which was a direct result of the fallout that happened with the swinging um, and that the whole friend group is now kind of fragmented. So all these women used to like be in each other's videos and were always like, you know, collaborating with each other, seemed to always be together. Um, And they actually had a lot of like recurring themes, like jokes, where they would call themselves sister wives or say that they were in a throuple or say that they were swingers or say that they had whatever. Like it it was all very like part of their content was joking about these things. Um, so that is actually something that kind of makes this case even not case. I'm, I'm, which makes the scenario even more interesting because they were kind of like putting it out there for everyone to see (laughs) and, um, people just didn't believe it. So The players in this are Taylor and Tate Paul, Miranda and Chase McWhorter, 
they're the ones that are allegedly not part of any swinging activity. However, there is allegedly a picture of Miranda and Taylor in a compromising position on OnlyFans on an account that is allegedly linked to Miranda. Then we've got Camille and Sam Monday. Allegedly, they have no part in the swinging activity, but we don't really know. Then there's Kenna and Brayden Rowley. And apparently, this is one of the three couples getting divorced in the group. And apparently, Brayden, the husband, is the one that hooked up with Taylor outside outside of their agreement. Allegedly, they both got really drunk at a party and went off together, breaking the swinging rules and went too far, meaning that they boned. Um, this hasn't been confirmed, but this is what people are thinking. And it's all pretty crazy. But um, it's important to note that all of these people are kind of young. So Taylor is 28. Um, they have two kids, Indian Ocean. And she used to be like a fitness model, I guess. Um, so these are people who are not like, don't picture these like Mormon moms that are like 40 and 50. These are like young people. Um, so it's actually, you know, maybe this is my own bias, but I guess when I picture people swinging, I always assume that swingers are people who are like older and bored and like not in their like sexual prime. So I guess I'm just kind of shocked that these are people my age that are swinging. I'm like, what do you need that for? Like just buy a vibrator. Come on. So yeah, that's kind of the tea going on right now. There's definitely more to be found out about it. Um, if you're curious and you really want to do a deep dive, go to Reddit r slash Taylor Paul drama, or just like search Taylor Paul and there's all kinds of stuff on there. Now, moving away from divorce talk now, I want to talk about Machine Gun Kelly for many reasons. Number one, every time lately that I've seen him and Megan Fox, the chemistry is no longer there. I'm sure everybody else has noticed this too. It seems like he's really like clinging to her and hoping that she stays happy with him, but it also seems like she's like checked out and out of it. Um, she keeps like kind of like making this face where she's like clearly annoyed with him. Um, and I think that maybe her love spell has kind of worn off for her. I think she is over it. Something about their chemistry, um, especially at, I think it was the Billboard Music Awards. Their chemistry was just so off. He's like hugging her from behind and like really tightly. And she's clearly like, just like squirming. It's very weird. But anyway, the point is, is I'm fascinated by Machine Gun Kelly because I really don't understand how, number one, how he got Megan Fox in the first place or how he got his career. I really don't believe anybody listens to his music. It's not good. <laughs> not like, not the pop punk, not the rap, none of it's good. So I'm just really confused about him. So the other day I did a deep dive and I want to share the information that I found out with you. I want to start back in 2012 when Machine Gun Kelly was first kind of like coming on the scene. At the time, he was about 22, 23 years old. Um, and on Twitter, he tweeted that 
Haley Mathers, Eminem's daughter, was, quote, hot as fuck, which just that alone sounds fine. But the problem is that Haley was only 16 years old at the time. So here's this 22, 23-year-old man calling a 16-year-old minor hot as fuck in a very public fashion. Obviously, that pissed off Eminem. So Eminem kind of lets him have his fun for a few years. And then six years later in 2018, he drops the song Not Alike from the album Kamikaze. And he says in the song Not Alike, I'm talking to you, but you already know who the fuck you are, Kelly. I don't use sublims and sure as fuck don't sneak this, but keep commenting on my daughter, Haley. So that led MGK to respond um, with an entire diss track entitled Rap Devil, where he takes shots at Eminem's age, his sobriety, drags Haley kind of into it, um, does a whole thing. Uh, and he referenced Eminem directly with the lyric, took you six years in a surprise album just to come with a diss. He talks about him paying millions for security. He says um, stuff about him going crazy, talking about how old he is, whatever. And then he tweeted, I'm standing up not just for myself, but my entire generation. I'm doing the same shit you did back in your day. Life is still real on my side, and I had to take time from the grind to defend myself from someone I called an idol. And I just have so much to say about that, but I'll leave it at this. Trying to make yourself a victim after publicly making a sexual reference about somebody's 16 year old daughter, your idol's. 16 year old daughter is fucking bananas. You don't get to then be like, oh, my idol, he dissed me in a song. Yeah, you called his teenage daughter hot. That's creepy. She's 16. Leave her alone. And then in 2018, in an interview with Sway, Eminem basically said he wasn't over it, which, duh. He said, one day, you know, I'm down a fucking wormhole on YouTube or whatever, and I seen Machine Gun Kelly talks about Eminem's daughter or whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck? I click on it, and he starts doing a press run basically about Haley. I'm like, what the fuck? Yo, my man, better chill. Fair. (laughs) And then he goes, the reason I dissed him is actually a lot more petty than that. The reason I dissed him is because he got on. First, he said, I'm the greatest rapper alive since my favorite rapper banned me from Shade 45 or whatever he said, right? Like I'm trying to hinder his career. I don't give a fuck about your career. You think I actually fucking think about you? You know how many fucking rappers are better than you? You're not even in the fucking conversation, which is absolutely true. So that's kind of like the backstory of the beef. And then after that, honestly, MGK kind of takes this pivot from rap to pop punk. He releases one more album. Um, I forgot what it's called. I keep reading the name of it and it just can't stick with me because his shit's so stupid. So, (laughs) um, he then teams up with Travis Barker. I don't know how the fuck him and Travis Barker got connected, but they did. And it changed the trajectory of Machine Gun Kelly's career in its entirety. 
As soon as they start collaborating, Travis is posting MGK everywhere. He's posting it on Twitter. He's posting him on his snap or not snap story, his Instagram story. Um, oh, it's tickets to my downfall. That's what it was called. So stupid. Um, <laughs> but he paired up with Travis Barker and Travis Barker tweets November 10th, 2020, four days before I got married. This man at Machine Gun Kelly really just came through last night and knocked out three songs in a few hours. And then he's posting him on his Instagram story, like, like I said. And um, he's just kind of like bringing his little puppy around everywhere, which this is like a common thing in the entertainment industry. It's like that's how Leonardo DiCaprio kind of got his start. Like Martin Scorsese discovered him and then he was just like, this is my guy. So it's kind of like that, except for like, on a way worse scale <laughs> because I mean, come on. But then Michigan Kelly gets cast in midnight in the switchgrass, which I have so much to say about this movie that I have not even seen. I don't even really know what it's about. It's starring Bruce Willis and Megan Fox. And that is actually how Michigan Kelly and Megan Fox, um, met. Just as an aside, um, Megan Fox's real name is Megan Fox. I did not think that that was her real name. That's so sick. Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox met on the set of Midnight in the Switchgrass. I can't say that word. Which was filmed in Puerto Rico and produced by none other than Randall Emmett. So if you watch Vanderpump Rules, Randall is Lala's now ex-fiance who cheated on her um, very recently and very publicly with some like younger women, which that's also how they met. She was the mistress. I mean, anyway, he gets cast in Midnight in the Switchgrass. And to be honest with you, nobody fucking watched this movie. Nobody watched it. Okay. It has a 4.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Out of Google users, 57% liked the movie. It's about two FBI agents who cross paths with a cop who's investigating a string of murders, murders that appear to be related. And then there's an undercover sting, blah, blah, blah. So um, I said that Randall Emmett produced it. He actually directed it. He might have also produced it. I don't know, but he directed it. Um, it's starring Megan Fox and Bruce Willis. Um, and then Michigan Kelly allegedly is in it for like a second. So how they even like met and fell in love on that set is kind of like unbeknownst to me, but alas, that's what happened. So after the two of them start dating, all of a sudden Machine Gun Kelly is fucking everywhere. And then he's releasing his emo shit, which it's not emo. Take it from me, somebody who was legit emo. I had the scene haircut, you know, I went to all the concerts I fucking had my MySpace was sick. Like I'm emo. This guy's not. <laughs> it's like you can't go from being a rapper to being emo and like try to not look like a poser. So now Machine Gun Kelly is working on a movie called Good Morning. Morning spelled like M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-E. Um, it's a comedy about um, a movie star who must choose between pursuing his one true love or landing a life-changing role in a film. It says that it's already been released, but I haven't seen shit about it. So that's really interesting. Um, also really bad reviews. Um, it's got 
a 3.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, but 83% of Google users liked it. So who knows? But he's the star. So, you know, I don't know how good of an actor he is because, again, I did not watch um, Midnight in the Switchgrass. But people are calling it a stoner comedy. Um, Becky G is in it. He's the love. She's his love and interest. Um, it also includes Megan Fox, Dove Cameron, Pete Davidson, and Jenna Boyd. And then Snoop Dogg has a cameo as a talking blunt. Whitney Cummings is in it. Um, it's really kind of stacked, but has generated no buzz. I mean, no buzz. Like when I Google the movie, very, very little of anything comes up. Um, in fact, really the only thing that comes up on when I click news on Google is this article from Paste Magazine that says, Michigan Kelly vehicle, good morning, goes up in smoke. And it starts out, they really just don't make stoner comedies like they used to, do they? And no, they don't. So this says, while many of the players featured in Good Morning are familiar with acting on film sets, it's nonetheless evident that Machine Gun Kelly and Mod Sun were merely looking for an excuse to fill every frame of their film with their buddies' faces, their respective talent and relevance to the narrative be damned. Most emblematic of the downfall of this practice is the inclusion of rapper Trippy Red, who so clearly could not memorize lines or portray a character that he simply appears on screen as himself, not even careful enough to resist looking directly into the camera. Surely this is why his character dons dark sunglasses. In a film where a glut of recognizable pop culture figures play fictional characters, Amber Rose, Pete Davidson, Trippy Red's cameo feels like a friendly favor that could have easily been cut. In contrast, the cameos made by Dennis Rodman and Avril Lavigne might not have been expertly executed in their comedic potential, but they add a cheeky touch that is more rooted in celebrity self-awareness than self-indulgence. At the very least, Good Morning is the kind of movie that you can lull yourself into stone complacency over, it says. Through hazy thoughts of, wait, who's that? Or what just happened? <laughs> so, Colson Baker, Machine Gun Kelly, starred, wrote, and directed it with Maud Sun. So, take that for what you will. So, it's really interesting to kind of see him try so many things and just be mediocre at everything. And for some reason he gets a pass. I don't know why. I don't know if it's cause he's just like this white blonde tall guy that like has high cheekbones. So he gets to just like, kind of like shittily dabble and all of these different things. Um, but his rap career is over. His pop punk career is probably disappointing. And his, Film career is embarrassing. Altogether, I don't know why this man keeps getting shoved down our throats. And I partly blame Megan Fox for it. Keep another man who has recently made a public image transformation in a different form is Miles Teller. I talked about this on the Instagram stories a little bit today, but basically, I want to go over his kind of media cancellation and subsequent comeback. In 2015, this scathing article in Esquire comes out by a writer named Anna Peel. He's the cover star of Esquire, and she meets with him for like the feature story assignment. 
And the first sentence of the article says, you're sitting across from Miles Teller in the, at the Luminary restaurant in Atlanta and trying to figure out if he's a dick. Basically, he talks a lot about his dick. <laughs> and he actually says, quote, I was thinking about that today, how I probably think I'm better looking than the public thinks I am. He says with a laugh, like, it's funny that he's willed himself into a higher tier of male beauty through limitless confidence. <laughs> he just kind of makes himself out to be a dick. And um, it actually really did hurt him because after that came out in August of 2015, which was after several years of working a lot. In 2016, he's in a movie called War Dogs, which is one of my favorite movies. It's about these two idiots who like become arms dealers and it's funny and it's like um, thrilling. It's just, it's really fun. Then he's in Bleed for This. He's in Thank You for Your Service and Only the Brave. He's in a TV miniseries called Too Old to Die Young. Um, and then we don't really hear from him for a while. Um, none of these projects were necessarily huge hits. Um, I think the biggest one was probably Bleed for This. That's where he worked with Aaron Eckert. And it's about the world champion boxer, Vinny Pazienza, um, who after a near fatal car crash was left not knowing if he'd ever walk again and then made one of the sport's most incredible comebacks. So that was probably his biggest one. I think I remember seeing trailers and stuff for him looking all beat up and stuff. Um, but after that, we didn't really hear from him very much. And there's reason to believe that it's because of that Esquire article and people not wanting to work with him anymore. Then what does he do? He plays the groom in Taylor Swift's I Bet You Think About Me music video. And honestly, when I saw that it was Miles Teller, I even thought to myself, isn't he a dick? I loved that Esquire article. I thought it was really well written and it was a really interesting like expose of like Hollywood douchebags. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, huh, that's weird. Um, and then his real life wife, Keely Sperry, played the bride in that music video. It should be noted that the only thing that Miles Teller did between 2017 and 2021, and when I say did, I mean, this is what came out within those years. So those projects could have been underway for years before that, but he didn't seem to get any new work because the only thing that he did in that span of time was the Too Old to Die Young miniseries, which was just 10 episodes. Too Old to Die Young has a 7.3 out of 10 rating on IMDb, so it's not bad. <laughs> um, it, he's really the only like big name in that series. But then Top Gun had been underway since 2018-2019. So then in 2021, he appears in Taylor's music video. And to me, it seems like that was almost like a way of trying to capture the like female audience again, because the whole thing about his rooster character in the new Top Gun movie is that he is like supposed to be hot, which is ironic after that article kind of like says that he's okay looking. <laughs> um, it seems like he and Taylor Swift kind of teamed up for some PR reparations um, 
to try and get him kind of back in the good graces of young women. And it seems like they did a really good job. And now that Top Gun's out, you can see Miles Teller all over your TikTok page. It's really interesting to me to look at these Hollywood men who kind of overcome their bad reputations because it is so much harder for women to do that. Um, For example, Katherine Heigl was called difficult um, on the set of like Knocked Up and Grey's Anatomy. And just because she was called difficult by a few people, her career has like taken a complete turn. Katherine Heigl used to be everywhere um, because she's very like, she's a pretty girl next door. Um, she's not a Megan Fox, you know, who's like striking and stunning and like a vixen. She's like sweet American girl. She was all over our TV screens pretty much from starting in 2002. For a long time, she was in a lot of movies, ones that we love. There's 27 Dresses, The Ringer, The Ugly Truth, Killers with Ashton Kutcher, Jackie and Ryan, all kinds of stuff. She also dabbled in TV being on Grey's Anatomy for five years as Dr. Izzy Stevens. She was on State of Affairs as Charleston Tucker. But then once people kind of started talking about her being difficult, she goes away. She hasn't done anything of real significance since 2017. And it's been a long time before that since she was in a movie. And the crazy thing to me is just that this was just a rumor. You know, this wasn't even like a firsthand account of a journalist being like, this girl was rude to me and doing a whole like scathing article about it. This was just people being like, yeah, she's kind of difficult to work with. And now her career is gone. I just don't think it's fair, especially when people like Machine Gun Kelly are actually talentless hacks. Justice for Katherine Heigl. Justice. This was another all over the place episode, but I hope that you enjoyed it. Please follow us on Instagram at the spin cycle pod and participate in our polls and conversations. I have a lot of fun with y'all on Instagram and then visit our website, www.thespincyclepodcast.com. Email me at thespincyclepod at gmail.com. All of that stuff. Um, And stay tuned for next week. Love you. Bye.